We will now have the Bible reading. If you don't have a Bible um, with you this morning, there should be a hardback black Bible in the P-Rack in front of you. We'd love for you to follow along. Today's reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 through 12 and 17 through 20. In the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1046. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I've been really looking forward to this morning because we get to talk a little bit more about our vision as a church family, where we're going to be heading over the next few years. So two weeks ago, we, uh, we, we started to talk about the foundation for a vision, why we would even need a vision. And then at the end of the service, everybody who is a part of our church family, called BRBC, the home church, and has given us your details, we emailed you with a copy of the vision. So you have had a chance to read through this document I know there's a lot in there. I recognize it doesn't ask every question, but it's enough detail for us to be forging a path ahead in God's strength. And what you would have noticed as you were reading that is the key statement within that document is, in fact, the vision, de- the, the vision statement itself. And our vision statement reads like this. Under God, we aim to be a vibrant church family that will be multiplying gospel communities around Suffolk by 2025. So there's our vision statement. That's what we want to be doing. You see, it's kind of geography-specific. So our focus is in Suffolk. It's time-specific. We're aiming to do this by 2025. It involves us being a vibrant church family ourselves right here and multiplying gospel communities. So having an influence beyond the walls of our own church, beyond our own communities and in and around our county. Now, I just want to step back for a moment from that vision statement, because you might be asking the question, hang on a second, James. When I walked into the church this morning, I walked past a a banner in the hallway. And on that banner, it said, 
loving Jesus together, helping others to do the same. And then as I was sitting here, before the service started, I saw some slides, and it was on those slides too, loving Jesus together, helping others to do the same. And then I remember, actually, during the welcome, you said that exact statement as well, loving Jesus together and helping others to do the same. So hang on a second. Um, You've got that statement or, or that motto or that kind of sentence that describes what you want to do and be as a church. Then isn't it a little bit confusing to have two statements I mean, you've got another one here, wanting to be a vibrant church family that multiplies gospel communities. I mean, what's going on? Well, let me explain what's going on here. Loving Jesus together, helping others to do the same, is our mission statement. A mission statement describes what you want to be, what you want to do in your essence. So so a mission statement for a church is us saying, this is what we believe the essence of any church should be. We believe any church in the world, wherever you are, whatever country, whatever people group, should be loving Jesus together and helping others to do the same. So, so if we all up sticks, we sold our homes and we moved to Madagascar, we would have the same mission statement. If we moved to South America, we moved to Asia, we would have the same mission statement, loving Jesus together, helping others to do the same. Because that's what we believe the essence of a church should be all about. Okay, next question. What's that then? Well, that's our vision statement. Well, what's the difference? A vision statement is time-specific, it's location-specific, and it puts flesh on the bones of what you would hope to do in order to achieve your mission. So it's much more specific, as you can tell. There's Suffolk, there's a date, and it's talking about multiplying communities. There's an aim, there's a goal behind that. Let, Let me illustrate this. Imagine you were to create a mission statement and a vision statement for your own life. Okay, so imagine you're going to create a mission statement for, 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 for you, just for you. What would that be like? Well, you would say something along the lines of, okay, what, what do I believe a human being needs to be? I mean, I've, I follow Jesus, I know God, okay, I've been created by him to know him and to follow him. What should a human being be all about? And you say, okay, my mission statement for my life is to, in God's strength, Follow him faithfully every single day of my life. Because that, that's, that encapsulates what you believe a human being should be all about. What we've been made for. And should be true of every human being. So then a vision statement for your life would enable you to achieve that mission, okay? So your vision statement might be like, in God's strength, I hope to know him more and to proclaim him more clearly in my everyday life by the end of this year. You see, that would be a bit more specific, okay? So you see, the vision and the mission statements, the vision, the mission is the essence of what you believe you should be. Same for a church. What we believe a church should be, the vision is the, the specifics of what we're going to begin doing in order to achieve that. Now, here's the next question. You step back from that and say, well, okay, we love that that gives more specificity to what we want to do as a church, but hang on a second, that's still really broad, I mean, isn't there a lot of uh, cogs in this machine? Isn't there a lot of spinning plates? Isn't there a lot of areas that you would need to address in order to achieve that? And you would be right. Which is why we have created something that we call the ministry principles. So three areas that we want to focus on in order to achieve that vision. Okay, so, so the mission is the essence. 
The vision is that statement, the ministry principles, is the breaking down of a few areas of church life we want to focus on in order to achieve all of the above. And so, our ministry principles are reach, grow, multiply. Reach, we're passionate about reaching people with the good news of Jesus. Grow, we aim to grow people up in the knowledge and love of Jesus. Multiply, we want to multiply disciples of Jesus through the gospel. Now let's, take, let's illustrate that back in your life, okay? So imagine your mission statement was, I want to faithfully follow God every day of my life. Your vision would be, I want to know him better and to proclaim him more faithfully by the end of this year. Then your principles would be, all right then, hang on a second. In order to achieve that bit of the vision, I want to know him better. I'm going to read his word for 30 minutes every day for the rest of this year. And you might say, right, that's one principle. Okay, in order to proclaim him better, um, I want to be a more faithful parent in proclaiming the gospel to my children. So that's what I'm going to do for 15 minutes every day around the dinner table. You might say as a part of that is, is the workplace. I want to break it down a bit more. I want to be more faithful in living out the gospel in my workplace. So I'm going to do this, this, and this by the end of the year. So that's how a ministry principle works. So that's why we have reach, grow, multiply. But here's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. We're going to be looking at reach. In the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at grow and multiply. And reach reads like this. We're passionate about reaching people with the good news of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. (laughs) That is much easier said than done when you look at the world around us. I I mean, it's very easy to say we're passionate about reaching people with the good news of Jesus... It's very easy to say, this is what we're going to do. And then you stop and you look at where we are situated. You see, see, look at where we are. We're in between two very rural Suffolk villages. Between Bradford St. George and Ruffham. Hesset, that direction, and a few other villages scattering. And then Bury St. Edmunds is just a few miles that direction and growing this direction towards us at quite a pace. But we belong to a culture and a part of the UK that's really quite affluent. And we're embedded into a British culture, an English culture, a Suffolk culture, that when they hear this kind of stuff, they would usually say, no thank you. Reaching people with the good news of Jesus, you being passionate about that. We live in a culture that when we talk about this kind of stuff, it's draw bridges up. I don't want to hear about that, thank you very much. I know you Christians, I know you've got this kind of agenda. I know what you're all about. Well, of course we have an agenda. Of course our agenda is to get people talking about Jesus. Our agenda is to be passionate about sharing the life-changing message of Jesus. That's what we're all about. But we live in a culture where it's draw bridges up. No thank you. You do your life. I'll do my life. We'll say hello to each other and we'll keep it light. But you don't get to say anything into my life. You see, this is much easier said than done. I was reading a sociologist recently about a kind of, kind of dissecting a little bit of the English culture where we live. And some of this really, really made me laugh. Because I, I get to say this because I, I grew up about three miles from here. And she, she talks about some of the ways that the, the Brits, uh, the, or the, she talk, well, specifically the English, how we, how we communicate. And I think it feeds into this. Really, really well. So I'll just pick a couple of rules she talks about. She talks about the the communication rules that we have. And one of them is what she calls the long goodbye. And I do this all the time. We just take forever to say goodbye. Just as when you think the last farewell has been accomplished, 
Somebody always revives the proceedings with yet another. We'll see you soon then. Which prompts another further chorus of, oh yes, we must get together. Goodbye, goodbye, thanks again, lovely time. Oh, nothing, wasn't anything, thank you, goodbye. Oh, must be off its traffic. Don't stand there getting cold. No, fine, really. Well, goodbye then. And then somebody says, we'll email you tomorrow. And then the final chorus starts again. I do this all, all, all the time. There's, there's another rule she talks about. This, this made me chuckle. Um, talks that when, when we're talking about the different, um, the different jobs that we have or occupations, you're supposed to respond with a sense of surprise, however boring their job might be. <laughs> It goes like this. When a person's occupation is finally revealed, it is customary, however, however boring or predictable, the occupation might be to express surprise. The standard response to, yes, I'm a doctor, teacher, accountant, IT manager, is, oh, really? As though the occupation were both unexpected and fascinating. I I know that, I know that. But here's the one she says, here's the one she says highlights. It's kind of like the rule above all other rules. And it's about privacy. And I think it's pertinent to this. This is what she writes. I would add that a disproportionate number of our most influential social rules and maxims are concerned with the maintenance of privacy. We are taught to mind our own business, not to pry, to keep ourselves to ourselves, not to make a scene or a fuss or draw attention to ourselves, never to wash our dirty linen in public. George Orwell observes that the most hateful names in the English ear is Nosy Parker. How are you is only treated as a real question among very close friends and family. Anywhere else, the automatic ritual response is, I'm fine, okay, thanks, mustn't grumble. Not bad, thanks, or some equivalent. Even if you are terminally ill, it is acceptable to say, not bad considering. Now now think about this. (laughs) Think about this. The culture that we're a part of, the culture that we want to reach with the gospel, the culture that we want to speak about the good news of Jesus into is a culture that says, you stay with your your, your business and I'll stay with my business, draw bridges up and we'll get along just fine. But the thing is, there's, there's this call of the gospel. There's the call of God's people to be a kind of people who go into the world and make disciples. A call of the gospel that says, draw bridges down. Let's talk about Jesus. So, so what, what do we do about this? I mean, where, where do we find the authority to reach? What on earth gives us the right to say, you're dead in your sins and you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And where do we find the courage to do that kind of stuff? What gives us the right and authority to reach out into the world that says, I don't want to know about it? Well, that's where we're going to turn. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at the sending of the 72. And as we go, we're going to be asking this question here. What gives us the authority and the courage to reach? What gives us the courage and the authority to reach? Now, in our reading, we heard that the 72 had been sent out. This is 72 followers of Jesus other than the initial 12. And they've gone out with one very, very simple mission statement from Jesus. Go out and proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. Do the healing, but proclaim the kingdom of God is near. Jesus doesn't tell them how to go about that. He doesn't give them any kind of how-tos on how to present this message of the kingdom. What he does say is, here's what you need to do if they reject you. Here's what you need to do if they welcome you. But the whole mission statement is to go and proclaim. 
Now, now the passage we're going to be looking at is verse 17 to 20. And that's the return of the 72. And what we find right at the beginning of that is that they express a a kind of an astonishment, a surprise at what had happened when they went out to proclaim that the kingdom was near. Have a look at verse 17 in chapter 10 again. The 72 returned with joy, with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I, I don't know if you can sense this astonishment as they kind of roar back to Jesus and come. It reminds me of like a child who's, who's really, really excited about something and they, they run to their teacher or run to a parent or a, or, or a carer or, or a childminder and run up to them. You will never guess what's just happened. We went out, we proclaimed the good news of the king. Did you know, even evil, the demons were subject to your name. They say sub- demons were subject in our name. Jesus, the demons were subject to your name. There's a sense of surprise, a kind of giddy excitement at what has just happened. I don't know if anybody saw the couple of Champions League games about 10 days ago. I did. There's a big European football competition. If, if you don't like football, then you should have watched those two games because you would have loved football for the rest of your life. What happened was it's Liverpool versus Barcelona. Liverpool are 3-0 down and they have to score four goals. You don't do that against Barcelona. One of the greatest teams in European history. You don't score four goals. But Liverpool did it. And then the next evening, it's Tottenham versus Ajax. Tottenham has to, have to overcome a 3-0 deficit. And they end up doing it in the 96th minute. So it's right at the end of the game. Now, when I'd finished the highlights and all the talking had been done, I ran up the stairs to tell Quince. And it was about 10.30 by this time. And she had just dropped off to sleep. She didn't really care about football, but I think she should. So I, went into, so I went into our... Quince, you will never guess what we have just seen. You remember, I was telling you about Liverpool, Barcelona. Well, it has just happened again. And you won't believe it because they scored a goal in the last minute. James, James, can we talk about this in the morning? You know I don't care much about football. But Quince is history, don't you care? I do. We can talk about it in the morning. <laughs> but here we go. That's the kind of excitement I think the disciples are coming with. That's the kind of, Jesus, you won't believe what we've just seen. You won't believe what we've just witnessed. Demons were subject in your name. You had an authority over them. But here's the key to what the disciples realize, and it's there in verse verse 17, that it was done in your name, in Jesus' name. They don't come in and say, it was done in Caesar's name. It was done in our collective 72 name. No, Jesus, it was done in in your name. What they're recognizing is that Jesus has ultimate authority. That's their celebration. That's their joy. That's their rejoicing, is that Jesus has ultimate authority, and it's in his name that the evil that they encountered was subject to him. It was in his name. Here's my passport. I don't know if you ever read the inside page of your passports, But in the British passport, it says something really interesting here. It always makes me laugh. It goes like this on the inside cover. Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State requests and requires that in the name of Her Majesty, in the name of Her Majesty, all those whom it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely without without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as it may be necessary. So basically saying, if you hold one of these, the queen says, you have to be nice to me. I was was trying to think to myself, 
I was thinking to myself, what happens if one day I get kidnapped? What happens if, if I'm in another country, say South America, and I'm kidnapped by some guerrilla fighters or something, and one of them asks for my passport, and then they read the inside page. Oh, no, we can't touch him now. We've, we've got to leave him. Somehow I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. But why is that? Why is that? Because the queen has an authority, yes. But is it an ultimate authority? No. What do disciples realize? Jesus has an ultimate authority over all. That even the demons are subject to him. Now, how does Jesus respond to this? Look at verse 18 and 19. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Look at verse 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I mean, what are we supposed to make of that? What does Jesus mean? I mean, does Jesus, is Jesus talking about the past event? Kind of like an, an Isaiah chapter 14. Lucifer falling from heaven with the other angels. I mean, is Jesus saying, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uncreated, so therefore I saw all of that going on way back when? Could be. Or, or is Jesus speaking in terms of, I saw Satan fall like lightning, as in one day... Jesus, uh, Satan will fall like lightning from heaven. One day, he will be dealt a final and, and full blow that will finish off his power and his influence and his work in this world. And is Jesus talking in terms of a vision? I saw this happening, like Revelation chapter 12 kind of vision. Or is Jesus speaking about the present? Is he saying to the 72, when you went out and proclaimed the kingdom, when you went out and you talked about me coming near, when you proclaim to the towns and villages that the time we've been waiting for, the time that our hearts and our nation were craving after, is actually here. As you did that, 72, I saw the strongholds, the footholds, the influence, and the power of the enemy begin to crumble. I think that's more likely what Jesus is saying. It's the 72, you need to realize that as you go and proclaim the nearness of the kingdom, the enemy's strongholds are being taken down. The enemy's strongholds and the foundations are beginning to crumble. I saw him fall like lightning. Why do I think that? Look at the next verse. Behold, all authority is from me to you. To do what? It's power over the enemy. Over scorpions and serpents. And over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. I don't think Jesus is saying at this point, you can go around and handle scorpions and snakes and you won't get bitten or stunned. I don't think Jesus is saying that. I don't think that would square with the rest of the disciples' experience in the rest of the New Testament. I think what Jesus is saying, look, the scorpions and the serpents are very often symbolic of evil in general. Or the work of the enemy in our world. The work of his power to, de to decay, to tear apart. His parasitic influence on our culture and on people's hearts and minds. I think what Jesus has given you power over evil. And it's a, it's a power that comes with my authority. It's a power that comes in my name. And he says, nothing will hurt you. Well, look at the next verse. Jesus is saying, your names are written in heaven. He's not saying, look, you won't experience physical pain in this life. He's just saying, your soul will not be touched. Your soul, your name is written in heaven. The enemy can't take that away from you. But here's what Jesus is saying to these 72. He's saying, look, you need to recognize that when you go into the world and you proclaim my name and you do it in my authority, 
You need to recognize what is really going on behind the scenes. You need to recognize that there is a spiritual battle at play. You need to recognize that when you speak about me, Jesus is saying, in his authority, when you do that, there's a crumbling, there's a dismantling, there is a destroying of the enemy's work and the enemy's influence. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's good for the 72, but are we included into that? I mean, do we have that kind of authority too? And when we speak about the name of Jesus in his authority and faithfully proclaim him like the 72, is the same true for us? Yeah. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Surely I will be with you until the end of the age. The enemy is talked about in the New Testament as being the prince of the power of the air. The one who, even though he has defeated, has some kind of an authority, a stronghold, a foothold, an influence in our world, in our societies, in our structures, over people, over groups. There is an influence, but we are called, like the 72, to go into the world and in Jesus' authority proclaim the truth about him. So what does it mean for us when we speak about Jesus, his person and his work, to the world around us? We need to see what's really going on. Is that there is a spiritual battle and we speak with an authority. There's some people in this room I know who have seen an obvious manifestation of something really evil. And you have seen the power of Jesus' name to overcome in those situations. But for the most of us, we deal with the influence and the strongholds and the footholds of evil on a day-to-day, unseen basis. The enemy's influence in our culture, in our workplaces, through technology, that kind of stuff, we recognize and sometimes we do have a window to see that kind of stuff. But Jesus says, look, you have the authority. You have the authority from me, a delegated authority, to speak in his name, speak about his name into the world around you. Now, way too many Christians walk around speaking as though they've been defeated, speaking as though they don't have a delegated authority from Jesus. But we really do. Jesus delegates his ultimate authority to us as his vice regents in this world. That's what we're called to do. You know, when when you're having a coffee with one of your friends, And in that moment, you faithfully talk about the goodness of God in Christ. When you share that over a coffee, and you're speaking in his authority about him, your voice is like thunder in the unseen. You're speaking with an authority. When you're reading the word with your family members around the dinner table at the end of the day, Or when you're reading to your children at night about the goodness of God in Christ and how Jesus has come to save. You know what? You might be speaking quietly and softly because it's bedtime, but in the unseen, your voice is dismantling the influence of the enemy and you speak with an authority. When you're in the workplace and talking to your colleagues, you wish you had the answers that they want, but you you always feel a little bit inadequate because you don't really know how to properly answer them. It's really difficult. But even so... Even so, you talk faithfully about who Jesus is. Well, as you do that, you speak with an authority. It's a delegated authority. So have the liberty to speak. When you're on a playground, 
And you're talking to the other parents and carers around you. And you have an opportunity to share about the reason for the hope that you have. So you share about Jesus. You speak with his authority. You do it sensitively. You do it compassionately. You do it clearly. But as you do, you speak with a delegated authority from Jesus Christ. We don't need to spend our lives walking around as though we don't have this delegated authority. We don't need to spend our lives walking around like we've been defeated by the enemy. We have an opportunity to speak with this kind of an authority. And that leads to us speaking in that kind of a liberty that Jesus calls us to. Now there's one more thing Jesus wants to bring perspective to. So have a look in this in verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, now Jesus isn't saying here, let's get the perspective right. Jesus isn't saying, never, ever, ever talk about what you've done in my name. Now forget that stuff. You only need to talk about the fact that you get to know me. Notice, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, don't rejoice in that stuff. He's not, forget that. Don't ever talk about the good things that God has done in and through you and the people around you. He's not telling them to be quiet there. He's just saying, let's get the perspective right. Let's get the priority right. What do you do? You know his authority, but you rejoice above all in the fact that you get to know him. See, what I think Jesus is doing here is bringing a sense of courage to the disciples. You, you know, it doesn't matter. You won't get hurt because your names are written in heaven. Nobody can touch that. You have a hope that's untouchable, a hope that's imperishable, a hope that's undefilable, a hope that will not decay. And if you see that, then you have a courage to walk through the today and faithfully follow Jesus. I mean, it's true for a lot of us, right? (laughs) That often we don't rejoice. Often we rejoice in what we've done in Jesus' name more than we rejoice in the fact that we get to know him. I don't know about you, but often... That's the first port of call in my rejoicing. You never guess what happened. You never guess what happened there and what happened in that conversation. Jesus is not saying be quiet about that. He's saying there's something to rejoice in more than that. And it's that I'm yours, you're mine, and you get to know me, you're in my family. So here's what Jesus is saying. We have an ultimate security. Now you ask the question, how does that, how does that change the way that we go about this kingdom work like the 72. I mean, how does, it, how does, it, how does that, this, this truth here, we have ultimate security change the way that we reach into a culture that doesn't really want to know? How does it change that, that security? Well, let me illustrate this, because, because when we know our future, and when we know what's happening in our tomorrows, it will change our today. Something true, true of human behavior across the board. When we know what's coming in the future, it'll change how we operate today. Let's imagine this. I, I used to be a janitor in Chicago when I lived there and did my studies. And it, it was a good job because of the people I got to work with, but the kind of things we did were just grotty and awful. So most of my time was spent cleaning really, really dirty toilets. Most of my time was doing that. Now, and let's say, for example, I'm going to revive my janitor's job, and I'm going to pick four people from this side and four people from this side, and we're going to go work in Chicago as janitors for the rest of the year. Follow me. I know it sounds strange. But imagine we go to Chicago and work as janitors. And I say to the four that I picked from this side, right, we're going to work for the rest of 2019. And as we work and clean those grotty, horrible toilets, I'm going to pay you $7 an hour. And that's all you're going to get, and you're going to do 40 hours a week. 
But I say to you on this side, right you four, we're going to do the same job as them. Clean the same toilets, it's just as horrible. But at the end of 2019, when you've done your 40 hours a week, I'm going to give you each $7 million. Now think about that. How, how would you guys go about the job? How would the $7 an hour people go about the job? This is awful. I can't believe we're only getting $7. This is the worst. I'm going to quit. I'm fed up with this. $7 an hour. I'm going to make nothing here. I can't even make ends meet with that. Okay, how are the four on this side going to operate? Oh, this is easy. Getting up at 5.30 to clean really dirty toilets, that doesn't matter. Because I know at the end of this year, I'm going to be getting $7 million and I'm going to be well sorted out right there. Think about it. What you know of what's coming in the future will change the way that you operate in the today. So what's Jesus saying in the mission of this kingdom-drawing-near kind of ministry he gave to the 72? Look right here, you have an ultimate security. Your names are written in heaven. What does that do? That gives you a perspective in the day. That gives you a, a courage for today. That gives you an unshakable hope for tomorrow that's going to change the way you go about your gospel ministry, change the way we go about our gospel ministry in the today. So we have an authority that's delegated from Jesus. So speak with that liberty. We have an ultimate security from Jesus. So stand in the courage of that. Know your authority. Know his authority. And rejoice in your security. Now here's the question. What are we going to do about that? Because we're talking about the vision, aren't we? Well, like, Hang on a second. We're facing a culture that brings the drawbridges up. No, thank you. We don't really want to know much about Jesus. Let's say, what gives us the authority to do that? Well, we've seen it right here. So what are we going to do about that? Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to run through. We're not going into any detail, because I know you've already read this. But we're just going to run through this, just so we can state it on a Sunday morning. Here is where we want to head in order to reach, in the authority and the security of Jesus. Six things in the vision you'll find. To develop events and reach, uh, that reach and invite. We would have a lot of these, but we want more. 2020 is going to be shaping up to be quite an exciting year. Everything from chaos to chaos plus, to on goal, to the community lunch, and even to a missions week. There's going to be a lot of different things going on. We want to develop existing outreach ministries. Now, during the week, we have three main outreach ministries. We have Busy Bees every Tuesday morning during a term time. And that's for mums and toddlers. And some mornings we get as many as 50 toddlers plus their mums, childminders and carers. It really is, does really feel like busy bees in here. It's amazing. But we want to continue that wonderful work. And to work with those who are serving, to encourage them, to equip them, to be able to reach. Because we're passionate about this. Also, on Thursdays once a month, we have the fellowship lunch. That's been going on here for many years. And we want to continue that work. We want to develop that work. Once a month, older friends from the community get to have a lovely, delicious lunch right here. They get to sing some hymns, and a lot of them don't know Jesus, so they get to hear about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we want to continue the work of Friday night youth groups. Every Friday, there were three youth groups down here, primary school age, middle school age, upper school age, all right here. And people serve every single week during term time. Why? Because they're passionate about reaching people with the good news of Jesus. And so this place is full of young people on a Friday evening. We want to continue to develop and work with existing outreach ministries. 
run regular evangelistic events. We've already run a couple of Christianity Explores. That's been really, really good. And we want to do more of that. And we want to train you to be able to lead them too. And we're excited about that. We want to make services accessible. Now, here's the danger with this. Some people might say, oh, you're going to sell out, aren't you? Making services accessible. I know what you're going to do. You're going to dumb down and compromise the truth just to make people feel comfortable. No, that's not what we're doing. We don't want that. All we don't want is stumbling blocks for people who have never been to church before coming. Stumbling blocks to them hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ. We want them to hear that. We're not going to be selling it. We're not compromising. We just want to make sure that people who've never been to church before can come in and say, that's what it means to know Jesus. That's what we want. Emphasize missions. Now, you know in our vision, it talks about Suffolk. We are honing in on Suffolk because that's the part of the world that God has placed us in. But we don't want to sideline missions. Missions is so important to us and always has been. And we want to grow that importance of missions. We want to educate the whole church so we know how to pray for the missions. We want to continue to give financially, generously, and sacrificially to missions. But also we want opportunities for everybody in here to go on mission trips. Because we know when you go on a missions trip, you get to help that charity or organization or ministry. But you also get fired up with a passion to reach people people with the good news of Jesus. We think mission is really, really important. And here's, here's the big one on the radar at the moment. Number six, we're going to a second Sunday morning service. Now, you know when the kids are in here, we all feel like sardines, don't we? Uh, We want to create space. We want to create space for people like you and me to invite colleagues, to invite friends, to invite neighbors, family members to come along and come and see what it means to know, love, and follow Jesus. So we're going to a second Sunday morning service. That's going to be in early September once the school term starts. We know there are logistical conundrums to overcome. Most of them have already been worked through. There's a few more to go. It's not going to be easy. The first few Sundays are going to feel pretty sparse in here. But why do we want to do it? Because we want to reach. And to do that, we need some space. We need space for all of us in this room to invite friends, family members, colleagues, and neighbors. So what do you need to do at this stage as far as the second Sunday morning service is concerned? Firstly, I want you to approach it with a sense of positivity. And I'm not saying we abandon realism and say, I don't know how this is going to work. I, I get it. But the only way this is going to work is if we approach it with a sense of positivity. Secondly, generosity. Every single one of us in this room, including me, might have to step up a little bit. Might have to be a little bit more generous with our time and our energy. But why? Because we want to reach. And thirdly, what do we need? Well, we're sending out an email at the end of this service. You're going to get it in a few minutes. And in that email is going to be a survey. And it's a survey that asks questions to help us get an idea, a lay of the land of what, this, what we need to do, what we need to think about for the second service. For example, in there, it's going to talk about service times. If it was this time and this time, which one would you come to? This time and this time, what would you come to? If it was 7.30? No, I'm just kidding. Not that early. But if this time and this time, which one would you come to? So we're trying to figure out where's the best split of our church family in order to create the most amount of space at each service. So those kinds of questions. Where can you serve? Where are you able to serve without it crushing you? Because still, we want this to be a place of rest for people. But also, we want to serve sacrificially in order to be able to be passionate and to reach those with the good news of Jesus. So that email's coming out. And what you can do for us 
Really, really appreciate it is fill that out promptly. I know what it's like to leave something in the inbox for three weeks, <laughs> but if you can get it done, the sooner the better. Now this morning, we've thought about reach. We live in a culture that says, no, thank you. But we, put, we preach a gospel that says, draw bridges down. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's get those questions going. Let's talk about what it means to know, love, and follow him. What gives us the right? What gives us the authority to do that? Well, Jesus does. He delegates his ultimate authority to us to speak in his name about him. And the courage? Well, he gives us the security. Our names are written in heaven. Well, let's pray, and then we'll sing our last song. Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you for your words and how it speaks into our lives. We recognize that it's, 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 a, it's a tall order in the culture that we live in to make disciples of all nations. But we know in your strength, with your authority, and with the security and assurance that you lavish us with, and in your strength, we can lay ourselves down and sacrificially, generously, and joyfully pursue this goal, this principle of being passionate about people coming to know you. Help us to do it. Help us to reach. We need you. And we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen.